Welcome to episode 243 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We are sliding in hot to the final episode in our series on Providence. It's Providence and Salvation. Yeah, I think that was a baseball metaphor, but I don't know because I don't know anything about baseball. That's fair. I was actually not envisioning baseball. It was kind of just like a general slide, slide your car, slide your body, slide yourself, slide, slide in. Isn't that like slide into my DMs? Isn't that like a thing? Not a good thing. Oh, it's no, not that's a not a good thing. <laughs> that's when a, like a creeper dude like hits on a girl unsolicited on like Twitter. Are you serious? By sliding into their DMs, like they they jump in on a direct message that's not really invited. Wow, I am I'm going to go with sliding into home since we're wrapping up this series. Yes, isn't it like really exciting great. when someone slides into home? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can theoretically slide into any base, but it's always great if you're coming home and doing the slide. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Let's slide into home on this thing. Here's the thing that I want to thank you about. This is like totally free of charge, not an official affirmation. I repeat, not an official affirmation, but it's going to sound like that. Thank you for educating me on what that means now in this really safe place <laughs> so that I didn't use that in a more profoundly creepy way yes. elsewhere. Yes. It's always interesting. And you and I know someone with a interesting story about using a phrase <laughs> in the wrong way to their chagrin when they figured out what it was. So... Yes, I'm glad that I could help you instead of you like mentioning that in a like a business meeting or something. Yeah, the struggle is like, real. You're being hip and young with the with the youngins, <laughs> and the people are like, "We got to get this dude out of here." Someone call HR. <laughs> Honestly, now that you say it, it sounds very obvious that yeah. like most times, if somebody's sliding into your life, that sounds a little bit sneaky, maybe yeah. a little bit underhanded, a little so bit good. under the radar. So, thank you. You're welcome. You're Thank welcome. you. So speaking of things that we should affirm, what are you affirming? So I have two affirmations. I really am going to keep this quick. Oh, I want doubler. to affirm Luke from the Steady Anchor podcast got married this weekend. Yeah, so Luke. I, I really hope that Luke is not listening to podcasts on his honeymoon. Oh, he better be. But when he listens to this, Luke, we're very happy for you. Congratulations. You totally have my forgiveness for the fact that you haven't made a new episode in like six months or something crazy like that. But, uh, you know, enjoy it. Enjoy your honeymoon. Enjoy being married. I think they're working at a Christian camp together or something this summer. So it's great. Marriage is great. Luke's great. Everything's great. And um, my next affirmation is we have added, Jesse doesn't even know about this. This is the first he's hearing about it. We've added another show to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. So we are welcoming a show called the Reformed Raza Podcast. Jesse, do you know what the word Raza means? I don't know, but I love that they just slid in. The, no, no, I had to like actually like this was this was a two directional conversation. Um, so a raza is a it's a uh, it's a Spanish word. It translates roughly as like race, but it's kind of like if you say like miraza, it's like my people. Okay. So they they have a podcast. It's these three Latino guys. I think they live in Southern California. I was introduced to them by one of the guys it. from the Guilt, Grace, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. So it's just three guys. I think some of them are working on elder training, uh, just w- doing life, working on you know figuring out theology. Uh, check it out. It's a great show. Um, we're glad to have them. We're glad. We're excited to sort of add another voice, another kind of voice uh, to our. Um, our cadre here of shows. So check it out. All their episodes are already in the mega feed. So if you're not subscribed to the mega feed, why aren't you subscribed to the mega mega feed? feed. But uh, otherwise, if you don't want to have good sound doctrinal content blasted in your ears every, almost every day of the week, and you'd rather uh, pick and choose it, then check out the reform Raza podcast. Um, They're doing some good work over there. That was the the strangest recommendation at the end. I thought it was going a different direction when you were like, if you don't want to have good theology, unsubscribe from everything because that's all that we're trying to bring you. Oh, no, no. I just mean like if for some reason you don't want to have an overwhelming amount of good theology and you want to pick and choose specific gotcha. shows, then you, you can't do that on the mega feed. Gotcha. But I don't know so, why anyone would want to, want to not have good exactly. theology all the time. So, exactly. so check like the, them out. Uh, like I said, they're already on the feed. Their new episodes will be coming out as they come out. Uh, good, Just good brothers in the Lord. They're, they're getting at it. They're serving their community. They're trying to 
learn and grow. Um, and I, I'm excited to have kind of a, another voice, like I said, another kind of voice, another perspective. Because like the Society of Reform podcasters is a lot of white dudes making theology podcasts, if we're being really honest. So it's nice to have some other kinds of voices and some other perspectives. Not exclusively. I hear you, Nick. I know what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, so check them out. It's a good show. I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm getting to that point where I'm like almost getting offensive. So I'm just going to stop and hand off the, the, the baton yes, to you for that's this fair. one. That's fair. Cut to Conrad, who's like, I'm Filipino. Yeah, but so am I. I mean, he's more Filipino than I am, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's not a yeah, contest. I forgot about Conrad. It's not a contest. Conrad. But I will jump on that if I can real quick. Here's one of the things I love is God has been really good to us in so many ways. And with this little project of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, God has been so good to grow the family. And one of the mm-hmm. things that we've been really committed to is we want to kind of create an omnibus for people that's a place where they can trust the content. So there is a fair amount of vetting. There's a crafting and creating relationship among the yep. people who are making these podcasts first. It's not just like, you know, Hey, you have a microphone. Yes. You should be part of this. So because of that, I think, I hope people appreciate that they're hopefully getting something that's sound and vetted, but at the same time, God has been good to bring us people from different perspectives and walks of life to speak into this thing. It shows how amazing the reformed theological stream is that there's so many swimming in it and they're all doing that to the great glory of God. So I'm so glad to add more brothers and sisters in Christ into this group. It is like, like sometimes we have to do like a, a giant potluck. You know, like, and then we will have everybody who's listened to all these come somewhere and we'll just all talk and hang out and it'll be (laughs) amazing. So like we should like cue DC talk colored people song, right? Pardon me, (laughs) sir. Your epidermis is showing. I just like to say my track record of the one guy that I don't know, or the, the, the two guys I've met out of the two members of DC talk that I've met, only one of them has apostatized from the phase recently. So I'm doing okay. I think. That's fair. Yeah. Again, and I want to put this call out. Is it, is it uh, Kevin Smith? Who have you not met? No, no. It's Toby. It's Toby Mac that I still need to. Oh, meet. it's Toby Mac. Okay. Yes. It is. Yeah. So again, in the spirit of, as far as I understand, like the Pokemon tradition, to yep. catch them all. Correct. Right? Yeah. Catch them yep. all. I've not collect catch them all. Catch them all. I want to put out to our listeners the plea again. If somebody can get Tony in front of Toby Mac, we desperately need that to happen. Better yet, if it yeah. could happen on the podcast, but it has to happen in person. So, yes, it does have to be in person. Yeah, if, uh, it's if, best if it's like a, an unusual sort of like, <laughs> like, like a cute meet kind of in a movie. Like, like I have to run into him somewhere. Shop. Yeah, like a subway or the airport. I mean, like if I could run into him at like Target or Best Buy, that might be like the trifecta because then it's just everything is coming I together. I don't think that's like strange enough. Like it's got to happen. Like here's what it have to be. You would let's say like you're driving cross country or somewhere on like a toll road. You go to pay the toll. And it's Toby Mac taking the toll. No, it'd be even better if like I pulled over to help a stranded motorist and it was Toby Mac. So if anybody knows Toby Mac and can get me his itinerary and then sabotage his car, that's really <laughs> what we're looking for. out of control. <laughs> yeah, I think like the NSA is probably listening to our show right now. So yeah. NSA people, if you're out there, let me tell you about the gospel. Just go back and listen to the back catalog. Speaking but of Providence. Yeah. Let's move on. Yes. All right. So let me drop a quick, I'm double affirmation it up, but I'm going to kick it back to you for denial. I'm just keeping it all positive today. So. My first affirmation, I'm going to try to keep this brief, but I will say, Tony, you just impressed me with the brevity of your affirmation. So in that <laughs> spirit, I'm going to try to condense something that uh, could be an old, a whole episode on its own into a very quick affirmation. So there's this song. It's a kind of contemporary Christian song, like The Reckless Love of God. Uh, the melody is, is very beautiful. The words are kind of strange. And part of it, I think people bristle, as I do sometimes, around this word like reckless. The one place where I find God's love reckless and maybe appropriate contextualization of that or description of it is it's recklessly spendthrift. So like when we come to the the prodigal son and that whole parable, we see what's almost probably bad parenting advice. You know, like that kind of consistent behavior yeah. wouldn't necessarily be good for our earthly children, not a parent, but it is certainly something that exhibits the character of God. And so I was reading in John, it just happened to be John, but all the gospels have this account. And I was just seeing how kind God is and his forgiveness, how he goes recklessly almost out of his way to show his love in the most minute details. And if there's one thing among many things that COVID has taught us, 
it's that it is to appreciate our sense of smell. So many people who have either encountered COVID or have short or long-term impacts have talked about how that changing of the sense of smell or the relinquishing of it, even for a short period of time, is so disarming, so disorienting. And so much of our memories are caught up in smell. Until that goes away, we don't have to appreciate that. This is all prolegama to say. I was reading, you know, again in John 18, where Peter denies Jesus. And I always find it interesting, some of the details in that account, one of which is when Peter denies Jesus speaks about him being with the servants and the officers in the courtyard, and they're over a charcoal fire because it was cold. And uh, that's like an interesting, weird detail. I mean, charcoal smells a particular way. It wouldn't be uncommon, of course, for there to be a charcoal fire, but that is a particular type of fire. And it's the one the scripture gives to us in detail, specifically called out in that passage. So Peter does the thing. He denies Jesus. He goes out. He weeps bitterly. And I don't often, I don't want people to think I'm over-spiritualized. I do not often like get emotional reading the scriptures, maybe much to my own chagrin. But I was reading further along in John where the resurrected Jesus is standing on the seashore and the disciples who are in the boat, they've gone back to fishing. They realize it's him and Peter can't get out of that boat fast enough. And it's almost hilarious because John tells us that basically he's like, and Peter threw on his outer garments. He'd taken off because he's fishing. He jumps out of the boat and it's almost funny because he basically says, and we arrived like just basically right after. (laughs) (laughs) Yet again, John outpaces Peter. (laughs) It's almost funny. It's almost kind of like another day again, but it's also kind of like you could have just stayed like we, we barely (laughs) got there. Like you barely got there before us, but because of what had transpired, I I think what made me kind of teary eyed is he just couldn't wait. He couldn't wait another second. He had to jump out of the boat he sees him. And so you have, of course, what follows there. People know the scriptures. They're going to, that's the encounter where Jesus says like, Peter, do you love me? He, he answered that thrice. But here's a detail I find so amazing. There's this idea, I would say in Peter's mind, he has this, think about how traumatizing the whole situation would be when you deny your Lord knowingly afterwards, every instance, every sense that would have been associated with that would be horrific because it would be this reminder. It would take you back to that place immediately. And here's Jesus. He's on the seashore and he's like, it's breakfast time. We're going to make some breakfast. He's going to make fish. And what does he do that over? The scripture tells us over charcoal fire. I find those kind of details amazing like that, whether or not that is specific and particular to this type of thing, whether or not that's what's in view here, even in a small part, I don't know. But the fact that our Lord knows about these details, cares about these details and in a small microcosmic way is redeeming everything in that conversation, in that moment, in the circumstances, our God is recklessly spendthrift with his love. And I am undone by that. And so I felt like it deserved an affirmation. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, something that I um, find exceptional, I'm just going to dovetail here on your affirmation, is Logos Bible software, right? Right. So I, because I knew where you were going, I went ahead. <laughs> I knew, I, I could tell where the, where the the narrative was going. Good and, on and you. I've, I've noticed that, you know, that um, affinity there where there's a charcoal fire when Peter denies, and then there's a charcoal fire when Peter is restored. And it is, it is quite beautiful. And I was able to, in just a few seconds, look up the Greek word, which is anthrakia, right? Which is where we get like anthracite ore is yep. coal. So it's a coal fire. Well but I was done. also able to see that this is like the only, these are the only two places yes. really in, in the yes. scripture where this word is used. So sometimes we look at the Bible and we make these connections and we need to verify it, right? Because maybe somebody mistranslated it, or maybe it's different words, different Greek words, and they both get translated as charcoal fire. Maybe one's a coal fire and one is a wood fire. Right. You know, it's like charcoal made from overburned wood or something like that. With with Lagos Bible software, even if you don't read Greek, if you have the right resources in your library, you're very, very easily able to identify with a little bit of, you know, you have to do a little bit of work of learning how these resources work, but you're very easily able to identify that this is a word that's kind of unique in the New Testament and it's only really used in these two spots. So whether you're a pastor or a podcaster or um, just a Christian who's wanting to study the word more, Lagos Bible Software really empowers you to do that by being able to give you access to some of these things right at the tips of your finger without a lot of extra training on how to do it. And and you don't need to know Greek to be able to, to understand and, and match up these letters that you can't quite read because they're a different character set, but you can see that they're the same. So Lagos Bible Software really, it, it, it does this in a way that I haven't seen any other Bible software, and I've used quite a few of the comp- you know, comp- uh, competing 
options, they really just do a, a, a bang up job at making this stuff easy to access and write at your fingertips. I literally just right clicked on the English word in my ESV standard <laughs> version. I clicked where the lexicon is, and then I've got a whole lexical entry, and it tells me all the areas that it's used. It's really just these two. So, yeah. So- I was going to, here's the thing before I I kick it back off to you. I'm just, you just literally totally snatched out. Like you just slid into my second affirmation because (laughs) I was going to save all that stuff to say like, that's how I knew that these two passages were related. So I affirm you. So tell the great people, our wonderful brothers and sisters again, like how they can go and connect to logos and maybe get a little bit of discount through the podcast. Yes. If you go to logos.com slash reform brotherhood, you can uh, get a base package of your choosing with a 10% discount, and you can get five free ebooks alongside it. So it's a great way for you to start to build a library. You could very easily start off on a base package that's sort of a low end base package. Um, I think they started around $250, $300, somewhere in there with a discount. And then you can either at a later point, if someone, you know, if you're a pastor and someone in your congregation blesses you and says, I want to I want to contribute to your library, how do I do that? You can upgrade your package and you only sort of pay the difference in terms of what the right. resources are. Um, or if you want to buy your pastor a package, I know that that would bless them to be able to upgrade their package. Or you can buy individual books as you go and just add to your library that way. So if you go to that website, you'll get the 10% discount and you'll get... Uh, five free ebooks and that website again is logos.com slash reform brotherhood glorious all right so now it's all on you then for the soul denial on this episode yes so jesse before i say my denial i want to ask you two questions okay okay can you tell me what the botanical definition of the word vegetable is <laughs> no 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 because i'm guessing it's like a particular definition right no no it's because there is no botanical definition of the word vegetable it's oh, an entirely made up category vegetables are not Get actually out a of thing. here they don't exist they do not exist so a fruit can you tell me the definition of a fruit so something with like seeds and no not even close really technically all fruits are actually vegetables so a vegetable like is simply the edible part of any plant that's that's the culinary definition but there's no botanical definition of a vegetable. It's a totally made up category. So like when we eat lettuce, we're eating the leaves of a, of a plant. When yeah, we eat a fruit, sure. a fruit is technically the ripened ovaries of a plant, which actually sounds really disgusting, but sounds it is awesome. what it is. Right. Or like a carrot is like a, it's the root. So it's a vegetable is an edible organ of a plant. So not only are vegetables not really a thing, yeah. but all fruits are vegetables. So I'm just denying vegetables, not in the sense that you shouldn't eat your vegetables, but I'm denying vegetables in the fact that like my mind was blown when I heard this. That's interesting. So like, like let's, let's do a test here. Okay, go ahead. Can you tell me what, what, when I say berry, what do you think is like, what's the most common uh, fruit that you think of? Blueberry. Blueberry, not a berry. Try again. (laughs) Strawberry. Nope. Not a berry. One more time. Uh... I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of something. Are, wait, there are there actual berries or is this? There are another? actual berries. Yes. There are actual berries. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't know exactly what the definition is, but I have some examples. Okay. Well, give me the examples. A banana is a berry. Oh, I have heard that before, yep. but I mean, a, it doesn't a make any sense. A cucumber is a berry. A yeah. tomato is a berry. So, uh, so like a, like a strawberry when you, and I'm, I'm just shamelessly stealing this from a podcast on NPR called Shortwave. So go listen to their episode. It's good. They go through all this. They give you the details. Uh, but like a strawberry, you know, all those little things that are on the outside that you think are seeds, like the, yeah. the little, those are the, those are the actual ovaries. Those are the, those are awesome. the fruits. Those are the berries. Awesome. Well, they're not berries, but so like all that red <laughs> meaty stuff that that's not, that's not actually the fruit. That's just like what the fruit is embedded in. It's, yeah. it's a weird, it's a weird thing. We live in such a weird world. So I'm denying vegetables. And I guess on, on one level, like I'm denying thinking we know things when we don't actually know them. Yeah. Like, or or just even having like, so basically we have a bunch of theoretically totally enigmatic categories. Right. And if somebody were to actually debate with you and be like, celery is not a vegetable. You'd be like, there's no way to defend that. Right right, right or wrong. Cause it just, that category doesn't actually exist. It's just a colloquialism to basically say like these things, which are mostly savory and veg of, of, I always said vegetable plant, like savory stuff theoretically, typically is more vegetable 
and anything sweet is is but almost like more fruit. Here's what I would like people to That's what we think of though. But well, no, no but like, what does that mean? It's like it's yeah. a construct we've created ourselves that's right. based on it's a bit like money except not fiat money. It's we're putting all of our trust in this social contract which is we understand what fruits are and right. vegetables are, but really at the end of the day the it would just cause you to have an existential crisis because the categories don't actually right. exist. Not botanical. Vegetable is a culinary category, not a botanical one. Not yes, a, that's not a the, horticultural one. That's the and case. within that category exists all fruits as well. So, the next time someone tries to tell you you need to make sure you eat enough fruits and vegetables and they act like those things are different, just just don't. Just laugh at them. Laugh just at laugh. them and then walk away. And say I'll enjoy my ripened ovaries whenever yes. and however I want them. That's what exactly what I was encourage people to do is like we're to gonna get emails in, about this. Invoke the the potluck theme again. Yeah. As things open up and you're able to dine with brothers and sisters, you just grab a peach off the table, take a bite, throw your head back, laugh, and say, I love these delicious ripened ovaries, <laughs> and then just walk away from the table. We're gonna get emails about this, Jesse. This is good. this is like that time we got that. We got that iTunes review that was like, this podcast is gross and inappropriate, unsubscribed. And we were like, what are you even talking about? Someone's going to be really offended at the number of times we just said ovary. The one time, I honestly, when we started recording, I didn't anticipate I would say it. No, so. no. you never the, think you're going to say ovary until you say no. ovary. That's, that is, yeah, somebody slapped that on a bumper sticker. So I think the only way to move forward is to transition in a really horrible way. <laughs> Well, since I stole your affirmation, <laughs> That's I thought fine. I was helping you, and then, That's I, fine. And then you did, I just you, messed it up. You did a great job. So as I understand it, we are sliding very appropriately and with uh, mutual accountability and consent into home <laughs> on this final episode in the series on Providence. And we're wrapping up with Providence and Salvation, which in some ways I think it's the crown jewel, but it's also I think the place people maybe thought we were going to start. And we made a big deal about the fact that you can't even get to this point unless you go yeah. back. So I hope that if somebody's missed out on all the things we talked about, especially Providence and Creation, that was really the launching off point. Please go back and listen to that. It's all out there somewhere on the internet. You can find it. It'll never go away. It'll haunt us forever, but it's, it's all really good stuff. <laughs> and so where I think it's important maybe for us to start in this episode, as we're wrapping up with salvation is actually with the promises of God and not explicitly starting with salvation per se, but with promises that invoke this idea of salvation. And I'm going exactly and directly to Romans eight twenty eight, And the question is, because I think our goal is to always make theology practical because theology is practical. We don't have to work hard to find its practicality. This is why God has revealed himself to us so that we might live in obedience to him and also that we might uh, be growing fruits of the spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, if you look at that verse, will do all things really, really, really actually work for good? And if you were to look real quickly at the lives like Abraham and Joseph, Moses, Ruth, Jonah, you will continually answer that question with a resounding yes, but it's easy to answer that question when you're just reading these stories in the Bible. But we need to note that if we're really properly informed by all of Romans 8, reading in context, like you like to say, not just looking at that verse and saying, oh, here's a great promise, all things work for good. The answer to that question is yes, but it's, with, it's not without a qualification. So Romans 8.28, Paul gives us his promise. This is what he says. God causes, causes all things to work together for good. But that promise comes with this condition. God causes, again, causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the sobering news of Romans 8.28, as it pertains to this conversation of providence and salvation, is that the promise that God is causing everything to work together for good does not apply to every person. That may seem obvious, but sometimes we kind of superintend or impose that on everything. The promise applies specifically to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that begs the question where we start, what does it mean to be called and called according to his purpose? Yeah. And I think, you know, when you, when you look at the Greek of this passage, right, it's not, um, it, it doesn't reflect the same word order, right? And that's, that's partially because just English and Greek work differently, right? In, in English, we put together, we know, typically the most common translation is we know that 
God works all things together for good for those who love him, or all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But in the Greek, it's actually, we know that for the ones who love God, right? So the, the, the category of people that this applies to actually comes first in the, in the original language, the ESV follows that same word order. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good so that it's, it's helping you understand that this is already a sort of restricted category of people. It's not for all people in all places. God works, works all things for good. It's for this specific category for those who are, who love God, and are called according to his purpose, right? There's reasons. There's a reason why those two clauses get clumped together: the the love God and called according to his purpose. That's why different translations do that. But I think you're right on to start with this idea, especially as we talk about providence and salvation, that the the all things working together for good is restricted to or by the category of sort of God's elect, the people that God has chosen, that He has caused to and created faith in and that he has caused to love him, and that is, you know, he is called according to his own purposes, that's important, right? We have to start there. So I, I like that we went to this passage first. And, you know, I, I think this is one of those categories, one of these these questions I think a lot of people get wrong, because we think of salvation, we think of it almost as like this ordinary thing, I find, where people right. sort of like, they look at it, they attribute it to like regular cause and effect. And, and again, right. like God working through primary means or, or immediate causes doesn't contradict him working through secondary causes. We, we, we labored at extent to talk about that, right? God causes, causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, but also condensation and physics causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God causes those whom he has elected to come to faith, but there are also natural causes that, that cause that coming to faith. But, we can't lose sight of the fact that God is working in an in immediate fashion in salvation. That's why we've structured this series the way we did, is when we talked about creation, we talked about how God still has the prerogative, right? The mm-hmm. fact that he rested on the Sabbath day does not mean that he doesn't also still have the prerogative to act in these ways that we were calling creative interruptions. And so last week we talked about how Evil is never a creative interruption. Evil right. always unfolds according to secondary causes, right? God is still the primary cause of all things that come to come to pass, and he can either cause those things by immediate um, primary causation, by immediate primary causation and secondary causation, or exclusively by secondary causation. And when we talked about evil, we made the argument that God only causes evil by means of secondary causation. Right. That is, he he sets up the providential events of history such that evil occurs for his overall greater purposes. In salvation, it's true that God is still operating in these immediate causes, but it's also true that God is working in these secondary causes. Mm-hmm. And so that's what uh, that's what we're talking about when we talk about how all things must be subservient to the salvation of the elect, right? First question of the Heidelberg Catechism, or the first answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, is that all things must be subservient to my salvation as one who is uh, in Christ, right? So that that immediate causation is there, but the all things, that's the secondary causation. So whatever it is, right, That's what that's what Paul's saying here, whatever it is, whether it's something that I enjoy or something that I don't enjoy, whether it's something that seems good to me or something that doesn't seem good to me, all things, all things in the secondary chain of causation, all things happening in that chain, all of those things are subservient to my salvation, whatever that is. And that's, again, this is another sort of like disclaimer. That may not be pastorally helpful to somebody in a given right. moment. So exercise wisdom, try to be sensitive to the fact that in a raw moment of difficulties, it may not be helpful to tell a Christian, oh, by the way, like this is subservient to your salvation. Or maybe it is. And you're going to screw that up. You're going to get it wrong. And that's okay too. But it, it really is a source of comfort for Christians, whether it's in the moment or looking back at the moment, it really is a source of comfort to recognize what, what Paul is saying here that for those who are called according to his purpose, which means that they love God, right? That's those two things are causally related. All things are, are worked together or God works all things together for good for those people who are called according to his purpose. And we see as if you just go on to the next verse, 
it's you're know, the next couple verses. It's not for some random purpose. The ultimate right. good is that they are conformed right. to the image of Jesus Christ, so that the so that Jesus Christ may be the first among many brothers. So it's not just about our own conformity to the image, although it is about that. It's not just about our own salvation, although it is about that. Ultimately, it's about glorifying God by having these children who are now brothers and I guess in sort of a sense brothers and spouses of Christ, right? That are now glorifying him through that purpose. Right. All right. We've done this before, but um, I'm going to ask you uh, to do it again here because I think it does relate. It resonates with what we're talking about here. Give to all the loved ones that same kind of Greek language order of words for John 3.16 because it's the same type of idea. I have to look it up here in my Lagos Bible software. Right <laughs> Hold on a second. Best, best plug ever. While you're doing that, I will say you read my mind because this is where I was anticipating we would go is this idea that from the beginning to the end, the Bible declares that really the very reason we're able to love God in the first place is because we have been called according to his purpose. This call is a direct call. And I, I want to say something. Right. We'll get into like the outward versus inward call stuff in a second, but give the people what they want, which is what is that true Greek rendering of John 3.16? Excuse me, I had to had to burp off microphone for a second there. So so John 3.16, right, when we read it, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so a couple things. I was shocked and amazed when I when I got to Greek one, right? This was like fourth the fourth day into Greek. The so in John 3.16 is not an emphatic so. It's not right. God loved the world so right. much. Right. right, right. God so loved the world. It's, it's, a, it's a so of means or, or like a, a manner, right? So the Greek is in this way or so, thusly God loved the world. For right. this way God loved the world. And it's pointing back to the election of some to be saved by looking upon the bronze serpent. Right. If you go back to verse verses 15 and prior, it's talking about how the salvation of the elect is is typified in the lifting up the, the bronze servant so that whoever looks on the bronze serpent would be saved from the, the death that came from these serpents or fiery serpents that were attacking them. And so the verse starts off by saying, in this way, God loved the world. And then it doesn't say um so that every person of all categories everywhere, no matter who they are, who believes, it's for the believing ones. So that right. the ones who believe, yes. the believing ones, might be saved. But even before that, it's, let me just make sure that I'm doing it right here. So it's, in this way, God saved the world. You're really like stretching me on my Greek, man. I'm not ready for this. Listen, we're getting um, after it today. right? And then the next clause is actually that he gave his only son, mm -hmm. right? So it's God so loved the world. In this way, God loved the world, that he gave his only son, in order that all of the believing ones, believing in him ones, mm -hmm. it's not just the believing, it's not right. faith for the sake of faith. It's all of the believing in him ones would not perish, but would have life eternal. So it's, it's this picture of, it's this picture that we have in front of us that there is this chosen means, right? It's this yep. chosen manner that God would save the world this way, not that way, this way, namely in a way analogous to the bronze servant. And that way, it, that an analogy is the bronze servant, the lifting up the, of the bronze servant is analogous to the giving of his only begotten son. And then the reason for that, the purpose, the hint clause, Alistair Begg loves to talk about his hint Yeah, he if does. I could do a, if I could do a good Scottish accent, I would My do that man. right now. But it, the purpose of that is that all of the ones who believe in this son who was given would not be destroyed. Exactly. They would not perish, but would have eternal life. So we have to understand that. This is not a, a statement of hypothetical or theoretical universalism, right. right? It's not this idea that everyone has the same open horizon— and that some people choose to be saved and some people don't. What it is, is there's a definite number, there's a definite classification of people. This verse doesn't really say anything about how one becomes or doesn't become part of that classification of people. It right. simply identifies a classification of people and says that God, in a way similar to the saving of the Israelites from the fiery serpents in the wilderness, saves those people by giving his son. That's all this verse says. 
But you're right. This word order is, is instructive to us to realize that there are these categories of people, or in this case, a category of people that are in view. And that means that other categories are not in view. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thanks for bringing us there. That's exactly what I was after. This actually does in many ways prove that this category, the specificity of the elect is stronger than the term vegetable botanically. (laughs) This is like an actual group. It's a well-defined group. And the point is that when we're talking about providence in salvation, hopefully this is providing some color around the center of that word. The call of God is not just like what you said, what we see with respect to, um, or what was the example you just used? I just totally lost it. You just used, you just used a biblical example of the call of God being like this. And I just lost it. Everybody's going to be like (laughs) screaming at their, at their, Cars I don't are driving. Either. I don't remember. I'll um, have to go back and listen to well, the tape. We need an instant replay function. We do need instant replay, like rewind that back. Uh, the call of God is also in in compare. You heard whatever you heard it was. <laughs> it's also <laughs> that, and I just lost my mind. It's also like what we see with Jesus and the corpse of Lazarus. Like it's this right. dramatic. We've talked about like the saving, the calling function of God being so dramatic, so much a miracle that when He says Lazarus come forth. And we read, he was dead four days and he came out. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. The call of God has the power to produce what it commands. It's an effectual call. And to, you again, stole the scripture right out from underneath me. This understanding of the call of God is confirmed for us in Romans, like two verses later, when Paul says, whom God predestined, he also called and whom he called those he also justified and whom he justified these, he also glorified. So there is of course that golden chain that comes, but it starts with the idea of, well, what are we talking about by calling? And I I think let's talk for a second, because this might be instructive and illustrative for some. This idea between like an outward versus inward call. This is also like a weird cultural thing, I would say, to some extent. Like Western cultures in particular have kind of embedded themselves in this just because of like how we think. But there is such a thing as like an outward call. I mean, that that's right. basically what happens every time the gospel is preached. Would you agree? Right. Like there's a yeah. sense of like this is the good news and the good news is a command. There is an imperative here. And it is being preached to, it should be preached like unrestrictedly, unreservedly to everyone, all categories of all people. That doesn't invalidate everything you just said, of course, about John three sixteen. When a preacher issues a call to the preaching of God's word, people can, and they often do resist that outward call, but that should be in contradistinction to this inward call that comes from God. And that can't be resisted. The inward call of God is not an invitation. When God calls you, He also justifies you. When he justifies you, he also glorifies you. That's really what Paul is after here. So this question, do all things work together for good, really begs another question, I think. Actually, maybe a more important one, which is, am I justified in the eyes of God? Because only if I'm justified in the eyes of God can I claim that the promise that God is causing everything in my life to work together for good is actually legitimized. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so just to to put some confessional feet on this, because we always like to be pointing you to people who are more reliable than us. Um, in uh, chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, I don't know for sure that it's the same chapter in the London Baptist, but I can't imagine that the phrasing is all that different in their equivalent chapter. Uh, so chapter 10 is of effectual calling. And the first article says, all those whom God hath predestinated unto life and those only uh, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call mm. by his word and spirit. Boom. And so what we have to understand is that although yes it's possible, right? So I don't I don't want to discredit. You hear this a lot, although the data is not actually forthcoming, but you hear a lot about Muslims in the desert, right, right who right. who have no direct evangelism happening to them, right. and they have a dream and this person that identifies themselves as Jesus, but more more often than not directs them to or or commands them to seek out someone who then shares the gospel with them. But sometimes you also hear that in these dreams, Muslims hear the gospel directly and they come to faith as a result of that. And then only after that do they seek out Christians and become exposed to the true scriptures. But more often than not, exposure to the scriptures, especially through preaching, and I mean like Lord's Day preaching, right? is the the primary means by which God outwardly calls people. So more often than not, someone finds their way into a church and hears the gospel from the pulpit on the Lord's Day. 
uh, before they're converted. They may have heard, you know, someone may have shared the gospel with them or read the scriptures to them, or maybe they read it themselves. Maybe they were in a hotel and they found that Gideon's Bible and they read the gospel of John, right? But more often than not, they don't actually become converted until they hear preaching in church on the Lord's Day. But that doesn't invalidate, as we're saying, that it's not only the ministry of the Word, but it's also the ministry of the Spirit. Right on. And so it says, to call by His Word and Spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they were by nature to uh, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, right? And then it goes through this list of the things that God does to a person in this effectual calling. And this is where we have to understand the reason why the same two people, and Calvin wrestled with this, and he came up with, actually, I think an answer that is not super satisfactory to me, but the reason that two people can hear the same message, they come from basically the same life circumstances, they, they both come from the similar kinds of family, they both grew up in the church, they both lived in the same towns, they went to the same schools, can hear the same message. One of them is cut to the quick and is converted to Christ, and the other one walks out of there thinking, hmm, that was a nice sermon, right. right? And nothing changes, there's no conversion, there's no conviction. The reason for that is because, although the secondary causation is the same, the primary immediate creative interruption of God is different in those two people. Right. And so, yes, most of the time, the inward call of the spirit also is accompanied by an outward call by some sort of preacher, usually on the Lord's day, not always, but usually. And this is why we say there is ordinarily no salvation outside of the church, right. because that's the ordinary means that God uses to bring in his people. And I want to read real quick. Um, well, we're kind of here from the shorter catechism and question 20, and I love question 20 because this is the first question where all of the questions build on each other, but this is the first question, in my, at least when, in my reading, where you start to really see how everything is coming together in, in the catechism so far. God's sovereignty, his goodness, his wisdom, all of the things we've talked, his decree, creation, providence, all of these things sort of come together. Even the fall comes together in this. And this is question 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? And it says, God having, right, out of his mere good pleasure— and that's important because it's not any foreseen faith. It's not anything that he looks at and sees in us. Otherwise, not only would salvation be contingent on something in us, even if God was seeing it ahead of time, but it also gives us grounds to boast out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity. So it's not in time. It's not, it's not, God's not responding to something. This is, this is God's decree in eternity past out of his own good pleasure from all eternity you could add the biblical language that that they apply to um, to Jacob and Esau before either of right. them would do any right. works, before either of them would run or work or do anything. Out of eternity, he elected some to everlasting life. He entered into a covenant of grace to deliver them into the or out of the estate of sin and misery, and to bring them into an estate of salvation by Redeemer. So this this question has all of that there. It shows that God predestined all of this. He elected some to this everlasting life, not not all, right? Not an empty category that we would then fill with our own free choices, but he elected right. some, and then he entered into this um, this royal grant type of treaty. We didn't talk about this in our covenant theology series, but there are different kinds of treaties, right? There's the, if you do this, then you shall live, and if you don't do this, then you shall die. This is the Susan Tree Treaty, right? The greater king who rescued a lesser king out of some circumstance imposes demands, and if those demands are met, there's a reward, and if they're not met, then there is a, a punishment or a curse. But there's also this royal grant treaty that we see in Scripture at times, right? When, uh, when Solomon, in, you know, he um, dedicates the temple, he just gives out gifts, it's, it's not if you faithfully attend right. the temple dedication, you're going to get... He sends gifts to everyone in the country, like food and, and good rich food and good wine and things that he sends out into the country. That's simply an act of, of graciousness and gratuitous blessing that he inaugurates onto the, onto the country. And that's what we're talking about here. God elected some. He chose some for everlasting life. The blessing was in sight before the covenant was in God's mind, in, in the logic of this order of salvation in, in eternity past. The blessing of eternal life was in mind before the covenant. And so in right. order to accomplish that blessing, he entered into the covenant of grace with them. 
So he, he bestowed this blessing on them in eternity past. And then everything happened providentially right. to bring them to a point where then this internal work of the spirit and this creative interruption that we call regeneration, everything up to that point leads to that. And then all of a sudden this creative interruption and the natural causations, they, they, they merge together in this harmonious moment where the outward call and the inward call are effectual to bring about the conversion of that sinner. And it really is right. like this beautiful, almost like ballet of things, right? If you look at any, I don't know any <laughs> conversion stories, whether it is, I grew up in a Christian home and I loved Jesus as long as I could, which I personally, as someone who doesn't have that conversion story, think is the most beautiful conversion story. It's it's sure. the way that God's faithfulness from generation to generation is most demonstrated, in my opinion. I know there are people that have different opinions, but... Even that is still this synthesis and, and amazing sort of like dance of, of primary and secondary causation, right? That moment of regeneration right. is always God's immediate work, even though he does it through means. But then there's all of these secondary causations that go back generations and generations and generations, back to somebody's great-great-grandfather who found a Bible on a right. bench in World War II and was scared of death and so came to... Like, these kinds of stories happen if you go back far enough. And it really is this amazing, beautiful symphony or ballet some sort of like metaphor of unity and i don't know i don't know i'm i'm yeah it, it, it's overwhelming trying to think about it is. how all this stuff comes together it is you're not wrong i mean this idea that so when we say somebody is graceful what we mean is there's like a beauty to their right. outer movement when we say somebody is you know kind of gracious what we're saying is there's a beauty to the inner movement there's and there's there's a beauty to this inner movement here that right God is loving kindness is of course, working all these things out. That is the working out. And when we see them, at least from a distance that we can kind of see, look out a course across like this landscape and see what he's done and see kind of the whole breadth and scope of his plan, it should cause us to fall into awe. And so the ballet metaphor I, I think is good because there's, if, even if you don't like ballet, like I don't know anything about ballet, honestly, like, so your wife, who is my sister, grew up taking ballet. I've been to my fair number of ballet recitals, some of them more graceful than others, but there's still no doubt that the movement, what was being trying to be expressed is something glorious. Right. It's something that cannot be expressed except in that particular medium. And so here we find that we find that God is working. He's always working and he's doing that in every circumstance in every way. And I guess maybe we should just be explicit about it. I think what we're saying here, well, I know what I'm saying and I think you would agree with me is that salvation belongs to God. It's under right. his purview. And not only is it like, I would say like a creative interruption, it's a, cre a form of creative destruction on the part of the self, because yeah. it is this regeneration that makes aware in a profound way, sinfulness and the positional sanctification, which occurs in that moment is something that grows by way of this progressive sanctification, wherein we're made aware that we are far away from the standard that God has had for us. And that can use to break us down. You know, it's like, they say to go back to like the vegetable fruit theme, which apparently is a trope of this, this is episode. Come back. This it's, is going to be a gift that keeps on giving. Can't Jesse. stop. Won't stop that. Like, you know, they say like when you eat a bunch of pineapple and your tongue hurts, it's because the pineapple is literally trying to break down the muscle of your tongue. This is really what sanctification does. It just continually breaks us down. And so as we think about what God's providence means in terms of our salvation, I think we're comforted by two closely related truths. Maybe these are truths on the same coin on opposite sides. The first is that if you've been justified, God has promised to cause everything in your life to work together for your good. Yeah. Now, like you said, and you said it well, it doesn't mean that like you get everything you want. It means you get everything you need. It means you get everything that is good and subservient to your salvation. The second great truth is that if you've been justified, God promises to finish that work by glorifying you in heaven. Yeah. So you get this like dual mandate of God is working everything out temporarily now for your good, for what is best and for his glory. And as if that were not enough, that he's going to see you through to the end. And the end really isn't just you dying well. It's that when you die, when you are reunited with Jesus, when your body and soul are reunited, that you're going to be glorified just like the son, the first, like, right, like what you said, following in the first brother, basically. So I would say there are some in the Christian church that suppose that salvation can be lost. And some suppose that after having faith in Christ, we have the ability to ultimately turn away from him. Uh, 
I don't see that here. I mean, I think the burden of proof is on those that would say that there's something here that we choose because whether it's John 3.16 or Romans 8.28 and following, what we see is that God is providentially, creatively, interruptingly, as it were, involved in salvation. It falls not just under his purview, it is also his prerogative, it is also his great joy and power to enact it in the way that he sees fit. So salvation is God's work, it's not ours. And as God's work, he will see your salvation through. Like, is, is that not comforting? Like that is the pastoral piece Yeah. that even as we struggle through life, as we struggle with besetting sins, addictive behaviors, things that continue to feel like we are pulled into the pit. When we go before God, we see that God predestines those who are called and he will see those that he calls are justified. And finally, he will see that those that he justifies are finally glorified in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why it's important to understand and this has kind of been the whole point of this whole series. It's important to understand that God's providence doesn't contradict necessary secondary causation, right? Right. So we, we've, we've talked about this in the past. We don't need to belabor the point. But it's not the case that humans don't have free will. It's not even the case right. that humans don't freely right. choose to follow Jesus. Right. right? The, the secondary causation is true. Like, I chose to follow Jesus. I chose to confess Christ as my Lord and to dedicate my life to him on January 23rd of 1998 at roughly 8 p.m. at Acquire the Fire, right? I chose that. That was a conscious decision. I could have chosen otherwise. But the only reason I was enabled to do that, yes, right? and I, we, could right. just, we should just do an episode where we just read the confession or the catechism. <laughs> but, but effectual calling, if you read what effectual calling is, it's not just, it's not just the Holy Spirit dragging us into salvation, right? There's biblical language to that, right? No one can come to the Father, um, to Christ, unless the Father draws him. Well, it's probably, drag is probably a better translation, right? It's this drawing water out of well. No one can come out of the well of damnation unless they are drawn by the Father into salvation, right? That's the picture that's happening. But at the same time, the, the confessional heritage that we both share, that we all share as Reformed Christians, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that effectual calling is when the Spirit persuades and enables us to freely embrace Christ, who is right. freely offered to us in the gospel. So it's not that the it's not that the Holy Spirit overrides our will in salvation. The effectual calling is not an overriding of our will. It's effectual in that it causes us to desire to follow and love Jesus Christ, to freely embrace Jesus Christ, freely embrace in the gospel. And so that's where this secondary primary causation comes from, right? Our will is part of the secondary causation here, the secondary chain of causation that brings us to salvation. We make a choice to follow Jesus. You know, like we get all right. we get all up in arms every time we hear the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there are good reasons to not love that hymn, right? But the right. decided part, that's not the it's, reason it's not, not to love that hymn. Right. right? Exactly. We do decide to follow Jesus. Right. And so the effectual calling, all of the things that God has ordained throughout all of history that led us to the point where we were at the right moment, in that right instance, with the right disposition, gasp maybe with the right emotional manipulation by some guy on a stage, right? That's an ordinary causation that God also used. This is what we're talking about. We say all things must be subservient to my salvation. The sin of Charles Finney in manipulating people into salvation, even that sin was subservient to the admittedly rare people who were genuinely saved at a Charles Finney revival, right? Or you know, insert your favorite or least favorite revival preacher there, right? But George Whitfield, his preaching was powerful, and it caused people to have emotions. And we would say right. that that's good and fine, and that's totally fine. I, I might be in the minority. I don't think it's that bad to to play a song in a particular way, whether it's a hymn or whether it's a psalm or whether it's a chorus, to use the fact that we are created as emotional creatures and to understand how certain certain musical movements might drive certain emotions. I don't think it's that bad to take advantage of that secondary causation. God created us that right. way for a reason. Now, we have to be careful, right? That has to be matched with good doctrine. It shouldn't replace the preaching of the word. But all of those things, whether they're sinful or holy, whether they're good or wicked, whether they are intentional on someone's part or they are a random happenstance, someone getting coronavirus or a car accident, right. quote, random happenstance, all of those things are subservient because 
God from all eternity elected some to everlasting life right. and entered into this covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery. Right. right? Even right. though we we start in this estate of sin and misery, and that estate in some sense clings onto us after we are saved from it, we still suffer misery, we still undergo the misery of this life, yet all of those things are subservient to our salvation. That's what we're talking about when we talk about providence and salvation. Not that not that God only immediately acts on the will, although he does immediately act on the will. Right. But that it's almost more miraculous in my mind that it isn't yes. just God always always yes. immediately acting on the will. The yeah, fact that he exactly. has lined up all of these providential happenings to bring you to that point which, as I said, this this union of the outward and inward call, this union of the ministry of the word and the spirit, those things come together in that moment of conversion. I really, I mean, it's a good thing that I'm not God, because I would just be like <laughs> ignoring the secondary causation <laughs> and just converting people directly. But right. it is so much more beautiful that he uses natural causation to bring those things about, even as he works directly and recreatively in those things. Right. So, uh, yeah, as we kind of wrap this up, here's a Kool-Aid man verse to kind of emphasize, I think, oh, what you're saying. It's from it's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You, I mean, I'm guessing you know why I called it a Kool-Aid man verse. Because it makes you want to run through a wall, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But here's, it's proving the point that you're making, of course, and the point that you're making is from the scripture. That is, we sometimes get this twisted. Notice that this verse didn't say, therefore, if anyone is thoroughly convinced, if anyone has somehow been overwritten in their will so that they now do this thing, it says, no, no. If anyone's in Christ, they're a brand new creation. New things come with new prerogatives, new passions, new interests. This is like all my metaphors these days are about fermenting things. So here's how it's going to go. Loved ones. <laughs> Listen, when you make a pickle and you throw it into the brine and you let it ferment and it goes from cucumber to pickle. Again, it, it's a vegetable. It obviously doesn't mean anything apparently anymore, but like this process, <laughs> once it becomes a pickle, it now functions like a pickle. It tastes like a pickle. It has the properties that are reminiscent of the cucumber from which it came, but it does things which only pickles do now, which is be salty, be delicious, be a little bit sour. And that is what we're talking about here. Like it's a fundamental paradigm shift and change such that there is no will to override because the will is just different. And not to mention, as you said, the will is in line with the way God created us to begin with from the beginning. You know, yeah. we could like invoke R.C. Sproul here who would ask us to think about why there's not more evil in the world, why more people aren't saved, right. because really what we deserve is what we would receive for ourselves, which is we have a clenched fist against God. We do not love him. We are his enemies. And yet, while we, are, we were at enmity with God, he sent his son to save us. Yeah. And so here we find he has made us new and new things are different than old things. Yeah. And so there's no will to override. There's no prerogative to come alongside and coerce. There is now only what is right. And the right thing always seeks after God. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, Jesse, is a good place to end. So, you know, there, theirs is only scratching the surface of the ways that God's providence is operative in the world. Right? For we, sure. We kind of hinted at this eschatology thing. We're not going to even talk about that. That was just me sort of realizing there's more to the story and not knowing where I'm going to go with that. So this is the last episode of our, uh, of our Providence series. If you have questions or you'd like us to address a particular element of Providence or a particular kind of passage, maybe there's a passage you're not sure how to deal with, or you have a situation you want to think about, feel free to give us a call. Phone number for the voicemail is 607-444-2767, uh, <laughs> which spells bros. bros. 
And, uh, you know, keep your voicemails short. We like to be able to play those right on the air. And long voicemails can sometimes be a little bit difficult to fit in. And please don't share too much personal details. Right? <laughs> Come on. We're, we're all adults. Don't, don't leave your own phone number on the voicemail. As much as we would love to call you back, we're probably not going to be able to. But if you leave your phone number, then unfortunately we can't play it on the air because then you got a bunch of randos calling you and sliding into your DMs. Sliding in. Sliding yeah. into your voicemail. Um, so yeah, check it out. Give us a call. 607-444-2767. Uh, we do take questions by email or if you want to ask a question in the Facebook group, but we especially love to hear people's voices because you know, I like, I've got these headphones on. I hear my voice for like an hour. It's just, I'd rather hear your voice to be honest with you. Yeah. Get your voice in there. Come in. I don't know what the opposite slide in. Come through the door. Come, yes. we want you, we're inviting you in to the Walk table to in suck with, with us. your shoulders back and your head <laughs> held high. That's the opposite of sliding <laughs> in. That's the opposite. Yes. And because we're doing this whole thing together, I especially, once again, we do this from time to time. I want to thank those who have gone to patreon.com backslash reform brotherhood and are supporting this podcast. Because again, we have all these like expenses. It's far more expensive and weirdly financial than you would think podcasting to be. And in particular, I want to thank brother Peter and brother Justin, who've just recently stopped up and said, hey, listen, I want to support the cast. I'm down with what you guys are doing and I want to be a part of helping that. And I am so grateful. It's like so encouraging and honestly, it's super humbling. So you can go to reformbrotherhood.com and there's a bunch of ways that you can get involved. One of those ways is giving through Patreon, but there's also a bunch of other ways. So thank you to the brothers and sisters who are with us, who are processing this stuff with us. And honestly, who are part of the family that are seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And we've teased this a little bit. We're going to get ready to uh, send out this special gift soon. And uh, if you are a Patreon supporter or if you are considering being a Patreon supporter, at some point in the future, we're going to send out gifts uh, and if you're a Patreon supporter, you're going to get one of those. So if you're a Patreon supporter now, please go in and make sure you update your address so that we have a correct place to send your gifts to. Otherwise, some random person at an address <laughs> you used to live at is going to get a mug with two people's face on it that they don't know. Maybe that's what you want. That's fine. God can use that. But, you just disclosed uh, what it was after I, all this I, I time. It's not a mug. I'm just saying that's an, it's a for instance. It's not. It's not... <laughs> It's not a coffee mug. It's not the, it's, those are great, like 15 ounce mugs. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a for instance, Jesse, that's a hypothetical. Sorry, my bad. That's definitely not anything that anybody is going to receive in the mail. That will not be sliding into your mailbox. All right. Well, let's just say this. It's not the coffee mug. Okay. I don't think we can recover from this without just flat out lying. You're not getting a coffee mug, but you may be getting something that has a similar form and shape. Yes. Different. Yes, it, it will be so, exclusive to those. And I want to say this, it's like, true. and this is not, I understand that like the, the being able to provide some financial support is not for everyone, because again, we know that God is providing resources to everyone in different and unique ways. And your right. first obligation uh, unequivocally is to your church. And so, but in, in, with that said, there are many who have been with us from the beginning that have said like, I want to step up and do that. And so this is like a small token. So we love everybody who's a part of this brother and sisterhood. Yeah. And so just come along, send your voicemails, send your emails, yes. send your money. All this, that actually got really weird at the end there. Yeah, we, it did we, get a little Joel Olsteiny. It did get it. Yeah. Sorry. Listen, look at how white my teeth are. Listen, <laughs> this is one of the things that we love about this idea is that it started with Tony and I have a conversation and somehow by God's grace, it morphed into other people's voices being part of this and then having yeah. interaction across like states and countries with those who are, again, are getting serious about like, what does theology mean? for how I love Jesus, how I serve him and how I love others. Yeah. This is amazing. This is like the, this is God doing his work in our lives providentially. Yeah. So make sure you go in, update your account. So you have the proper address. That way we can get you your non coffee mug, but possibly mug shaped object uh, with our faces emblazoned on it to you. Uh, and if you're interested in said non coffee shaped, non coffee mug, mug shaped object, uh, please feel free to come and uh, support us. Uh, we're going to, why don't we, why don't we say this? We are going to say that anyone who is a Patreon effective June 30th or before 
will be given a special exclusive Boom. Reform Brotherhood gift just to say thank you for supporting us. Thank you, um, everyone. We appreciate every every supporter, whether you give a small amount or a large amount, whether it's a one-time gift or it's an ongoing gift. We appreciate that you're willing to partner with us and walk with us on this podcast. I refuse to use the word journey. I won't do it. But on this podcast, on this <laughs> lowercase m ministry, uh, it's more than just me and Jesse. It's really a ministry that all of us share. Uh, because I hear stories all the time of people who uh, heard a Reformed Brother episode, Reformed Brotherhood episode, and come to a more a more robust understanding of Reformed theology, or come to Reformed theology at all, and yeah. suddenly have that kind of like wake up moment of wait a minute, you mean God is the one who's in charge of salvation? I don't have to work for my own salvation. That's amazing. Amen. We hear those stories all the time. So Amen. It, it's not just the people who are here to learn more about Reformed theology. This is also a show that is helping people to hear the gospel. So if you want to be on board with that uh, financially then uh, we'd love to have you join us that way. If you want to be on board with that just by praying for us, we'd love to have you join us that way as well. Amen. And here's, I want to give this one final challenge as we go. I noticed that we have this pattern, Tony, where like I go off and get like super excited and do like quasi micro sermon. And then you're like, so if you want to connect with us, like you always lead us, <laughs> really lead us back into like the logistical details. But I want to give out this kind of challenge. Like I think I would be so happy personally if at the end of listening to any of the time that you've heard us talk and we talk for a long time because that's our style. Like if you think that this is long, you should come to vacation with us because oh, you man. would not get out of that for less than four hours of conversation about all kinds of things. But and even this is super long. So here's what I would say is that I would feel like we have been accomplished and successful if you have your own Kool-Aid moment. Uh, like if you have to end of this, like feel like you're just jazzed, like that God, you're, you're encouraged by what God is doing, that he is in control, that he's sovereign over all things, that he's working out all things for good, that everything is subservient to your salvation. And so I guess the challenge would be if you have your own Kool-Aid man moment because God has revealed something to you, would you hit us up and let yeah. us know that, um, you know, he's doing something, you know, substantial in your life that you're like, I could just run a wall, wall, run through a wall right now because God is so good and so amazing to me. And whether that's, that happens because of a charcoal fire or whether it happens because of realizing really the breadth and scope of his sovereignty, or whether it's because you realize you don't have to do anything to earn the love of God, that it is the thing that he does on his own prerogative. And so we fall on his knees. Like I'm just giving some ideas. Those are yeah. all things that like, yeah, once this ends, I'm going to need to Sometime call a contra it's going contractor. To eventually. You yeah. know, Jesse, I, I've come to this realization, you know, I <laughs> used to not, watch a lot of PBS when I was a kid. It's not ending now. It's not ending. <laughs> I used to watch a lot of PBS when I was a kid and I used to get really mad at the Did telethons you? because they go on forever and ever. Yes. And now that we occasionally do the like, hey, you know, if you want to support us financially, here's how you do it. It's really hard to stop that. There's like no like natural transition no, to go from like, hey, if tough. you want to give us some money, here's how you do it to like, all right, see you next week. It, it's tough. Which is why the best way to do it is just to say, until next time, Jesse, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Oh. What if I'm fine?